Rinkwide Vancouver. Well, there's something about those St. Louis Blues. The Vancouver Canucks have just three losses in the month of January, and two have come at the hands of the Blues. Canucks do earn a single point with a furious third-period comeback, but they drop a 4-3 decision in overtime at Rogers Arena. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. It's brought to you by Betway. Jeff Patterson joined once again by David Quadrelli of Canucks Army and Canucks Convo. Dave, after two periods, I thought, "Uh uh-oh, we broke down a 2-0 Canuck win over Chicago the other night, and I thought we might be talking about a 2-0 loss, but... Uh, the Canucks do have firepower. We knew that, and uh, they haven't trailed often going to third periods, just the ninth time in 48 games this season. So you figured that there might be a comeback in the offing. They get the goal they're looking for to spark the comeback, and then 41 seconds after that, they're trailing by two again. But credit to the Canucks, they stuck with it. And who knew that Pia Suter uh, has never looked better than wearing a chrome helmet the way that he did in this one? Pia Suter is clamoring for the Canucks to keep wearing those chrome <laughs> helmets. But man, this is, the chrome helmets, Jeff, and maybe yes. it's not the same level. They're going to go down with retiring the number seven or whatever it was the Canucks did for one season. They're going to go down in Canucks lore where in 20 years, people won't even know that the Canucks wore metallic helmets because those things are going to be short-lived and they're going to be short-lived for good reason. Yeah, they had the seven-man banner, the uh, reverse retro sprite unis that they didn't ever win in in that uh, (laughs) all-Canadian division season as well. And they don't win in the Metallic Helmet debut, but they do get a single point, and a lot of it is thanks to Pia Suter. He's the only guy that scored in this hockey game. I got the opportunity to play with JT Miller and Brock Besser. We heard after the morning skate, Rick Tockett hadn't committed to it, but you could sort of read between the lines that he was going to break up Lotto Line. Now, we saw Lotto Line together late in the second period when the Canucks were down and needed a little bit of offense, and so Rick Tockett certainly has that as an option that he can go to, and I kind of thought he would stick with it in the third, but he stuck to his guns instead and turned out to be that Pia Suter is one of his real guns in this hockey game, his only gun, in fact, goals 10, 11, and 12 And his third of the night, the hat-trick goal coming with the goaltender on the bench for an extra attacker with 52 seconds remaining. So uh, it is a good point for the Vancouver Canucks when you're down two in any hockey game, especially in the third period, and you manage to get something out of it, uh, you'll take it. But, uh, and we've done this before on some of these, uh, when games get to overtime, I just think the Canucks star power should carry the day. And here they are, another game where they come up on the short end. And I do think that Elias Patterson has a legitimate gripe. You go back to the Rangers game in October where he thought he was wronged and there could have been a penalty and play was allowed to continue. Uh, He gets cross-checked in front of the net and a little slow to get to his feet. Uh, You know, I don't know if that was uh, him trying to protest, but you got to play to the whistle. And it allowed Braden Shen a little bit of time and space. And Braden Shen snaps home the winner at 154 of OT moments after Philip Aronik in all alone set up by JT Miller. And you play overtime to get that one great A opportunity, Dave. The Canucks had theirs. Unfortunately, Philip Aronik unable to pull the trigger. Joel Hofer looking like Dominic Hasek <laughs> in the St. Louis goal <laughs> crease with the glove save. And that wasn't his only one on the night. Like, Joel Hofer looked so good tonight that it made you look like. Like, it made you think it was a throwback Canucks game where the Canucks would just get completely goalied by some no-name goalie or the team's backup goalie. It really, really was one of those games for them. But yeah, Philip Ronick had the chance. And 
Like, look, there, there were chances all throughout this game, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but I texted you in the third period and said, Jeff, like, how many nets have the Canucks missed tonight? Because yeah. it felt like it was a lot, and the one thing that I noticed was in the third period, we had three key ones. I, I counted, at least. I saw Besser miss the net, Ilya Mikheyev puts the puck through the crease and wide, and then Miller misses the net kind of on a crease crashing play on the power play, the late power play there after the Tory Krug penalty on Ilya Mikheyev. And you pointed out to me that Miller didn't have a shot on goal. Five misses tonight in that game. Make it six. The official final stat line for JT Miller, no shots on goal, no shots blocked, six misses. So I don't know if he's got to recalibrate uh, the radar or whatever, but you got to make goaltenders make saves. And I know at that level, guys are trying to pick corners and it's, you know, fine lines. But still, six opportunities for JT Miller with a puck on his stick. And he he doesn't find the mark, certainly doesn't find the back of the net. And, uh, yeah, uh, just a, a bit of a strange night for him. He hit the post as well uh, in the second period to have that chance from the high slot and rip one outside of the post. But uh, post nevertheless. But, yeah, you go back to those misses that you documented. Brock Besser who's in his first sort of funk of the season. He has slowed down his goal-scoring pace. He's been scoring that goal all season long, and you could see by his reaction, putting his stick on his helmet as he made his way to the bench, that he knew that he had missed an opportunity there. Ilya Mikheyev off the rush, pretty good opportunity. What the Canucks would do for a goal from Ilya Mikheyev, who's up to 16 straight now without putting a puck in the net. That said, he draws the penalty on Krug when he got tangled up with Hofer late, and you kind of thought maybe that was going to be the the opportunity. The Canucks had already cashed in on one power play in that third period. Didn't like the late power play, Dave, at all. When we're talking about shooting the puck, I would have taken some JT Miller shots, even if they had gone wide. Uh, Just holding on to the puck way too much uh, collectively as a group when you're down and you need a goal to tie the hockey game. Like, put it on net. And they didn't do that with the the man advantage with Tori Krugoff for cross-checking, but ultimately, into the final minute, they worked the puck to the front of the net, a bit of a scramble play, but Pia Suter showing some poise and some patience, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, wouldn't have expected him to be the goal-scoring hero, but uh, here he is, and he's missed a chunk of games as well. I mean, the Canucks playing their 48th game of the season, and for Pia Suter, this was game number 34, and he's up to a dozen goals. He becomes the ninth double-digit goal-scorer for the Vancouver Canucks, so uh, he has been a terrific addition. I s- saw a lot of people in social spaces pointing out the fact, you know, at a million six for this year and next. You know, just yet another example of some fine work by uh, the pro scouting department and the management group to to bring in a player like Pia Suter, who has been a 14-15 goal scorer in his three years in the National Hockey League, but certainly looks like he's going to cruise past that total and join this long list of Vancouver Canucks that are having career years offensively. And not only that, but when it comes to the management group, waited him out, right? Like, like, yep. like didn't jump at signing him on July 1st, like some past management regimes may have done with a bottom six player, right? Like, like waited him out. That came in mid-August. Like, that was a savvy signing at the time. And look, you and I have spoken about it at length, Jeff. You get Teddy Bluger. Okay, that's nice center depth. Probably more of a fourth line center. But now you get Pia Suter. Okay, now you've just really shored up your center depth. Like you've got some strong center depth. And it's really played out that way for the Canucks. And obviously, Teddy Bluger's uh, greatly exceeded expectations. But I would say Pia Suter's also in that conversation this season uh, as a center that they've signed that has has exceeded expectations. Yeah, I, I didn't think that the Garland-Joshua-Bluger line had its best stuff. and They've been so good for this hockey club. They're not going to be at that level every single night. But uh, 
uh, you know, we, we talked about, and I thought maybe one of the themes would be the fact that, you know, Mikheyev's up to 16, Kuzmenko uh, now at a dozen games without a goal since uh, the game before Christmas against San Jose, takes the double minor, his first two, uh, first penalty minutes on home ice, he came into the game with two penalty minutes, uh, took a minor in Calgary early December, and this is the first time he had made a trip. I, I, I should check this. I, I was going to say the first trip to the home penalty box. He may have served a penalty. But uh, first penalty minutes that he has taken when he got his stick up on Sammy Blay. Uh, but he also had that uh, defensive play when the puck was in the crease in the first period uh, behind Casey DeSmith. And the Canucks were down one nothing, and Andre Kuzmenko there to sweep it off the goal line. So uh, another sort of eventful night for Andre Kuzmenko. You noticed him for some of the right reasons, some of the wrong reasons. But again, not a whole lot of offense from him. And... You know, it just begs that question. If you break up a lotto line like they did, Elias Pettersson goes back between the two Russian wingers, and neither one of those guys is feeling it right now. And and quite frankly, I didn't think that this was Elias Pettersson's strongest game. We talked about overtime, but uh, also on that 3-1 goal. Again, the Canucks, you know, Suter scores, it's 2-1 a minute into the third, and you're thinking, oh, they got the entire period to get the goal they need to, to get back on even terms. Well, 41 seconds later at the other end of the ice, and it's Torpchenko, the St. Louis Giant. Uh, Kevin Hayes does most of the work there. Torpchenko just goes to the front of the net. Didn't like Pedersen on the defensive play. Kind of let Hayes get away from him. And then Nikita Zadorov just way too weak on Torpchenko. And interestingly enough, the only shift in the third period for Nikita Zadorov was 21 seconds. The Canucks get scored on. And that was hit, it for him for the night. So uh, he was out there for the power play goal that they gave up as well. And I thought uh, a little weak on that effort as well. The Buchnevich goal on the, on the doorstep midway through the, the first period. So again, there was a nice comeback for the Vancouver Canucks. They get a single point. Uh, they pad their lead atop the, the standings. They, you know, stay, or they keep pace with Winnipeg, who lost in overtime in Toronto. The Boston Bruins lost at home to Carolina. So the Canucks gain a point on the Bruins at the top of the NHL standings. But you know, there were some issues in this hockey game, and most of these nights that we've done these post-game pods, you know, maybe they haven't been at their best, but we rave about the the way that they find ways to win. Well, this was a different path for the Canucks. They fell behind. In fact, they fell behind at two nothing at the first time since the Philadelphia game right after Christmas that they had been down two nothing in a hockey game. They have scored for so often. They've played with the lead, so this was a little uncomfortable situation for them. I liked their first five minutes, Dave. I, I thought they were a little unfortunate that they didn't score a goal in the first couple of minutes. They stacked shifts. They had the Blues who had played the night before in Calgary. I thought they had them back on their heels, a backup goaltender. We didn't know what kind of night Joel Hofer was going to have. I liked the first five minutes for the Vancouver Canucks. Unfortunately, they had nothing to show for it. It even looked like the first 10 minutes. Like, like you, you take yep. the first 10 minutes, right? Like, you're right. The five minutes were great. But if you expand the 10 minutes, if they played that way for the entire game, they were going to score at some point. And you're right. Like it, it, it's funny, Jeff, because we've brought up games where, and we've done rink wide together where there's been games where the Canucks almost get PDO'd, right? Like they get the reverse Canuck. The thing we were seeing in October where, you know, they would get out shot, but their finishers would take over their elite goaltending would take over. Tonight was one of those nights. Like Casey Smith posts a 778 save percentage on the night. I didn't think he was awful. And of course we'll talk about him. I'm sure. But yeah. I just, I, I don't know, like you you look at this game and you see, okay, they had it in the first period, which they have all season long, but one thing that they've been able to do this season, Jeff, is if they don't break it open in the first, they at least don't give up a goal. And yes, they've had issues in the second period, but 
For them to give up two in the first period, I thought it was a different dynamic. I thought it gave the game a totally different dynamic and, you know, one that maybe we haven't seen so much with this team this season. It just feels like they haven't really been in that position that they were in tonight coming out of the first period. Well, let's look at those two Blues goals in the first period. Jake Neighbors opens the scoring 15th of the year, 13-14. JT Miller has the puck down low and just kind of flings it out to the line, but it doesn't clear the zone. And then the Canucks run into some trouble. Pia Suter gets caught in no man's land, and I know that it was a nice night for him ultimately uh, in the third period, but he gets, he's close to neighbors, and then he kind of backs off, and JT Miller was in the corner, and there was a little confusion there, and the quick shot by neighbors beats Casey to Smith. So one nothing again, it stands out just because the Canucks seem to open the scoring all the time, but no big deal. You're not always going to open the scoring, but again, falling behind 2 nothing. Just the fifth time all season the Vancouver Canucks have been down 2 nothing in a hockey game. It just It's mind-boggling because it has happened so seldom. And that goal was a power play goal. Noah Juleson, puck over the glass. Uh, second straight game, the Canucks have done that. Something that we haven't seen from them an awful lot. But little mental mistakes, uh, pressured, whatever the case. Puck over the glass, it's a penalty. And the Canucks penalty killing had been so good. And yet, I thought on that play, again, Zadorov... Uh, Got to use your size more effectively. Uh, he doesn't, and Bushnevich takes the centering pass there, neighbors and Thomas, and, you know, 2 nothing, two quick goals uh, less than two minutes apart. That was a surprise just because we haven't seen the Vancouver Canucks in that position. You know, they said all the right things this morning about remembering that it was the Blues were the last team to beat them in regulation. They thought that maybe that would be a little added motivation and some incentive. And again, decent first 10 minutes, but a little bit of letdown just opened the door enough for the Blues to barge through and get that 2 nothing lead. Jeff, what does Rick talk talk about the most? The guts of the ice yeah. and allowing east-west movement on your goaltender. Those first two goals, both in the guts of the ice, both on which Casey DeSmith is moving east to west. We haven't heard from Rick talk yet, but I'm going to I'm going to bet that he did not like either of those goals. And you're right, Nikita Zadorov, especially like on the second one, that was his first of two on the night where it's a tap-in for a St. Louis player, a backdoor tap-in where Zadorov's supposed to be blocking off the back door. Use your size. You just said it, Jeff. You got to use your size if you're Nikita Zadorov there. And honestly, it, it didn't surprise me to see Tockett kind of pull the plug on Zadorov for the night. Didn't want to see him back out there after that. And that's going to be something we watch, obviously, right? Like, obviously, Carson Soucy's out, so they don't have that ability to slot out Zadorov or anything like that. But it wasn't a good night. It wasn't a good night for Nikita Zadorov. And the Canucks penalty kill just... They've been so good. They've been so good. It was the 15th straight coming into tonight's game. You were a little surprised to see them give up one in that fashion, right? Like, that's something that they've cleaned up so well, is protecting that backdoor tap and protecting that east-west movement like talk about five on five, that's where the penalty kill struggled the most in recent years. And they've really cleaned that up this year for them to give up one like that. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm anticipating we're going to hear an unhappy Rick talking when we hear from him shortly. Yeah. And look, I don't think Zadorov was going to play a lot in the third period when they were down and pushing for offense. But it is notable when it was one shift and it was the one shift that the Blues scored on uh, to go up three to one. I thought a big turning point in the hockey game might come in that second period, when Braden Shan looked like he had scored a 3 nothing goal, and it was negated by a Jake Neighbors penalty, so instead of the Canucks being down 3-zip, they're on the power play, and we've seen what the power play has done here of late. It's uh, starting to come back to life, and it didn't score there, but still uh, thought that, you know, again, at 3 nothing, they're in a world of hurt. 
at two nothing with the offense that they generate, they're still okay at that point of the hockey game, but that was a missed opportunity, certainly. And then moments after their power play, Kuzmenko takes the double minor with the high stick on Blay. And so I thought, okay, like what a swing one way or the other. Well, it turned out that uh, neither team scored on their power play opportunities in that second period, no goals at all in that second period. So you go to the third and that's when the comeback began for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, they score a minute in, then the Blues get the goal at 141. So the Canucks are right back on their heels. But the Canucks do cash in on the power play. Pia Suter is second of the night, 11th of the season. Uh, we should mention as well that Quinn Hughes with assists on all three of the goals uh, just continues to rack up points. Uh, nothing he does surprises anymore. But he's up to 300 career points now is Quinn Hughes. And he's up to 60 on the season. So a nice round number, a couple of nice round numbers for Quinn Hughes, who the scary part came when, and again, I think the Canucks have a legitimate gripe here, that it happened quickly, but like Oscar Sundquist, that is a cross-check on an absolute star in the National Hockey League. And you don't even want to think what the Canucks lineup looks like without Quinn Hughes. And a few dicey moments there as he went to the bench, and you could see that he was uh, in a little bit of distress, but ultimately didn't miss a shift. But between the Sunquist cross-check on Hughes and Elias Pettersson getting knocked down in front of the net on the on the game winner, uh, neither one of those gets called, but the Canucks did have a couple of power plays in the third period. So, you know, I'm not sure that they can argue too much with the officiating, but still, what did you make of the, the Sunquist hit on Hughes? And what were you thinking when you saw him looking like he was laboring there at the bench for a moment? Well, when you see Quinn Hughes laboring, you're thinking, uh-oh, I hope I'm not hosting <laughs> rink-wide for the next three weeks if Hughes is out, because my goodness, this team without Quinn Hughes uh, would not be very pretty, and we know that. So obviously, yeah, you're you're worried if you're seeing Hughes at the bench, just knowing what he means to this team. But when you look at kind of the cross-check, I, I, I almost look at it as, Yes, he, fin- he it was a cross-check. It absolutely was a cross-check. But I'm also looking at Hughes kind of being in a bit more of a vulnerable position. And, like, I don't know. Like, my first reaction, Jeff, wasn't, oh, that, that's that got to be a penalty. Like, that, that's not a penalty every single time in the NHL. I think the more egregious one is the one I'm sure we're going to talk about later. And that's the one on Elias Pettersson at the end of the game. The cross-check on Hughes, I again... Didn't want to see him get hurt, of course, but my first reaction genuinely wasn't, oh, that's got to be a penalty every time. But I think when you see the replay, then you start to think more like, yeah, okay, that's two minutes right there. Yeah, and it's a fast game. We get that. Uh, And he's kind of spinning out of the check, and Sunquist just helps him uh, into the board. So uh, no call on the play, but ultimately no harm either. And that's the best news of all that Quinn Hughes was available and he was part of the comeback. And as we said, three more points for him. He's up to 60 on the season. I mentioned it earlier and kind of gave my thoughts there, but I'm curious to hear from you on the game winner. Braden Shen gets it a minute and 54 seconds into overtime. Shen scored a shorthanded goal last night, uh, played 900 plus games. Last night was his first shorthanded goal in the National Hockey League uh, in Calgary. And this time it's overtime for Braden Shen. Uh, he's the hero for the Blues as they win it four to three, but not without some controversy there and absolutely a shove to the back of Elias Pettersson, who you know, doesn't have the puck, is watching the play, unsuspecting, and ultimately, I mean, it is a factor on the game-deciding goal. If we could put some truth serum in Rick Tockett, I think he would tell us that Elias Pettersson was out too long in overtime. And I think that's where the story really starts, Jeff. Yeah. Is there's two turnovers 
from Pedersen. I don't want to use the word disinterested. Maybe tired is more appropriate. That's not Elias Pedersen at 100% in terms of stamina. He's at the end of his shift. That was probably too long of a shift for Elias Pedersen to have. And yeah. Minute and the, three second long shift in overtime. So Exactly. Yeah, right. Yep. And, and he'd played he'd played a lot prior to that, right? Like that's two turnovers in the overtime shift. You just you can't you can't have that if you're Elias Pedersen. And yes, I, I called it on Twitter. I, I called it out on Twitter. That that's a, that's absolutely an interference penalty. And yeah, it decides the game, and it really shouldn't have. Like it, it shouldn't have gotten to that point, but there is also some blame on Elias Pedersen. I know some people on Twitter are saying it's a flop. I really don't look at it as a flop. I also I also think just the fact that he was probably a little bit tired plays into how easily maybe he went down, but that's an interference penalty. That's an interference penalty 10 times out of 10. It should have been called. It wasn't. And the Canucks go home with one point instead of two because of it. Look, Elias Pedersen is one of the all-time great Canucks already at this stage of his career. <laughs> I recognize that. I mean, dazzles us on a nightly basis. He's among the NHL scoring leaders, but he does seem to get knocked down a little too easily on too many nights, I find. And again, when I watched that play in question in overtime, for a split second, it looked like there was a bit of pouting before he hopped back to his feet. And I'm not in his head. I don't know what happened there, but you got to play to the whistle, even if you you know you don't get the call there. And I'm not saying that he would have been able to get up and prevent Braden Chen from scoring, but it just kind of felt like he stayed down for a beat too long. Whatever the case, the uh, Blues win it. Blues beat the Canucks two out of three this season. Canucks shut them out way back in October, and then uh, the two-one win at Enterprise Center. Uh, at the start of that seven-game road trip, and so they go two for three against the Vancouver Canucks, just the second team this season to defeat the Canucks twice, the other, the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, the Flyers did it in regulation both times, uh, the Blues with a, a regulation win at home, and then this one in overtime. But uh, it, it's pretty remarkable when you can just kind of, you know, instant recall of how many teams have defeated the Canucks twice this year, and the answer is two because uh, it just has not happened very often. With the overtime loss, the Canucks' record is 32-11-5. They're up to 69 points on the season. That keeps them atop the National Hockey League point parade. They are 8-1-2 now in their last 11 hockey games. And in their last 22, again, just two outright losses, 16 wins, two losses, and four now, either overtime or a shootout. And I mentioned shootout because uh, Casey DeSmith's last outing was a shootout loss in Columbus. This one gets a single point for the Vancouver Canucks, and he's done a terrific job of picking up points at the very least. He gave his save percentage. He wasn't busy in the hockey game, just 18 shots on goal. Canucks outshoot the Blues 32-18, and over the final 20 minutes, the shots were 15-4. to So Casey DeSmith really didn't have a lot to do in the third period, gave up the one goal. That was it for him. All of that said, since Christmas, just one victory in four starts. Uh, he had the loss to the Flyers on home ice. He has the one in Columbus, has this one tonight, and he got the victory against the New York Islanders in the middle of that seven-game road trip. So uh, wins have been a little harder to come by. Thatcher Demko, that's all he does these days is win. <laughs> and for whatever reason, Casey DeSmith uh, not getting the victories right now, but he's still been such a good news story for the Canucks. A uh, one, one, and two in his last four starts. So he's picked up points at the very least in three of them on the season. Now he is seven, three, and four. Uh, what do we make of Casey DeSmith's night? 
Jeff, so so while we're talking, I'm just going back and rewatching all the goals. And I'm not going to read each one, but we've highlighted the first two, right? Like we talked about the guts of the ice yeah. and those weren't protected. Those are hard saves to make as a goaltender. The third St. Louis goal, I thought that one, although again, we highlighted Zadorov not having his man there. I thought that one was one that DeSmith could have been better on in terms of just, again, I know you don't want him to move east-west, but in terms of moving there quicker, I thought DeSmith could have been better on that goal. I think that's the only one that you can really pin on him. Obviously, the OT one, the one in overtime, not really on him either. That being said, were there many, aside from the one in the third period, because that's the one that stands out to me, I'll ask you this. Were there many moments where you said that's a huge save from Casey Smith that that's a save that he needed to make right there because I I didn't think that happened much tonight no as I go through my notes and I generally try to keep track of you know the what I think are like the, the high danger scoring chances Colton Pareko jumped in from the right point late in the second period it's a two nothing game if they get to three nothing at that stage of the hockey game it's probably curtains for the Canucks and I thought Casey Smith made a nice save there but otherwise, I'm not sure that I have uh, anything. Uh, it took them, what, nine minutes to get their first shot on goal, and sometimes that can be difficult uh, just because you don't touch the puck very often. Again, I, I thought the Canucks had a, a nice start to the hockey game, but in the end, the Blues outscore them by one. So, you know, I'm not sure I would characterize any of them as weak goals on Casey DeSmith, but anytime you give up four as a goalie, I'm sure you're thinking that's too many, and it is hard to win hockey games if uh, your team's given up four. Now, We've seen on lots of nights that the Canucks have bailed their goaltenders out and scored five and six and eight and ten uh, the one time in San Jose. But uh, it wasn't to be Pia Suter, the only Canuck goal scorer on the night, uh, goals 10, 11, and 12, as he gets the hat trick. Uh, unfortunately, 4-3 uh, is the final score. The Vancouver Canucks fall to the St. Louis Blues. We've got lots ahead. We'll get uh, some reaction from the head coach and into that locker room as well. We'll get to our rink-wide Vancouver three-star selection. We always do a little bit of Listener feedback at your thoughts on what you saw and what you felt about uh, this hockey game. We'll have a staff that stands out. And then there's one. There is just one game to go now before the Canucks get 10 days off. They get uh, their league bye week, and then uh, that dovetails into All-Star Weekend in Toronto. And, of course, they're going to be well represented there, so it's not as big a break for some of the guys as it is uh, for other players on the team and elsewhere around the National Hockey League. But Rick Tocchi keeps talking about how badly he thinks his team needs the rest. Well, I'll have a couple of days uh, before they face the Columbus Blue Jackets on Saturday, and that'll be it. Uh, that'll be their 49th game of the season, and they'll put it in park for the better part of 10 days. So a thought or two on that, too. Before we are done, it's their big annual charity fundraiser, Dice and Ice, on Thursday. Uh, it'll be a team day off on Friday, and then uh, back to work uh, with that game against the Blue Jackets coming up on Saturday at Rogers Arena. Jeff and Dave with you here as we continue to roll through our postgame thoughts. 4-3, the Blues defeat the Vancouver Canucks in overtime. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver, and it's brought to you by Betway. St. Louis Blues defeat the Vancouver Canucks 4-3 on Wednesday night at Rogers Arena. It's Jeff and it's Dave with you here on Rink Wide, brought to you by Betway. And it's time now for our Betway bet of the day. And one of the featured games, I would say the featured game on the Thursday NHL schedule, 
Is Patrick Waugh behind the Islanders bench going into Montreal to take on the Habs? Obviously a ton of history there, probably some money on both boards. Uh, you can get the Habs as the home favorites here, and I'm sure they're going to want to spoil Patrick Waugh's return to Montreal. You can get Montreal at 225 on the money line. That is the Betway bet of the day. Must be 19 plus. Please play responsibly. All right. Uh, we have given our thoughts and our takes on what uh, went on at what went wrong for the Vancouver Canucks against the St. Louis Blues. Want to hear from the head coach. We'll hear from Pia Suter in a moment as well. But first things first, Rick Tockett, who was asked about the third period comeback, what led to the fact that the Canucks were able to get back on even terms before they ultimately lose the game in overtime. But the coach was asked about the third period push and uh, whatever changes he made to orchestrate that. I just I thought we had a lot of possession. We had uh, a couple of adjustments on our OZOP. You know, some something I think we had our D come in the middle more, get some more shots. Uh, thought a little, some of our forwards were a little more tenacious on the second efforts, like the suitor goal. There's there's second effort goals. Uh, I, th- I saw that a little bit more. Um, you know, overall I liked the battle. So there you go. He, he liked the effort, and and how could you not uh, need a little bit more from a few other guys, but. Ultimately, uh, you know, if you lose in regulation, you get nothing. You lose in overtime, you get the single point. You just add it to the pile, and their pile is uh, a a tall one, as we said. Nobody ahead of them in the National Hockey League standings, so you can't get too frustrated, I don't think, if you're the head coach. Although, interesting, and we're going to play the clip here, a little bit of frustration from Rick Tockett. Not about the officiating in overtime. He's asked about the overtime and the non-call on Elias Pettersson, but listen closely. And then there's a follow-up answer to a question from Farhan Lalji about Elias Pettersson's play. But this is Rick Tockett when he was asked about what he saw on Braden Shen's overtime winner. What's your thought on the overtime goal? It looked like Petey may have been interfered with a little bit there. <clears throat> those, two, those two refs are best in the league. I, I, I got to take a look at it, you know. You know, more concerned about other stuff on that goal. Overall, and maybe this was one of them, but... Um, did, did it look to you like maybe Petey was a little off tonight? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, we had a, I haven't liked his game in the last three or four games. We got to get him going. What in particular do you think he needs to do more? <clears throat> I think he's got to skate. He's got to start skating a little bit. I think he's, you know, I, I, I think he's good with the moves sometimes. But I think when you have speed and make those moves, that's when he's at his best. So we'll get him going. Ah, interesting. They, they, they've got to get Elias Pettersson going. I mean, two weeks ago, the guy was the first star in the National Hockey League. He was taking the league by storm. And yeah, he hasn't had his best stuff for the last couple of games. If you go back to the Columbus game, the Toronto game, uh, even though he scored in those ones the other night against Chicago, not so much. And as we said, it was a, a bit of a mixed bag. You know, how much of it is him? How much of it is? It's not happening when he's playing between Kuzmenko and Mikheyev. And so... Uh, you know, at, at what point do you shake that up and move Nils Hoaglander up the lineup perhaps a little bit just to give it a little different look? Because it there, it feels to me, Dave, like it's a little bit stale with that trio of Pedersen, Mikheyev, and Kuzmenko. But I thought it was fascinating before Farhan's question when Taka was talking about the overtime goal. He, he didn't seem that upset about the officiating. He said there were other things on that goal that he was more concerned about. And I do think that it was the turnover at the St. Louis line, and then uh, perhaps, as we talked about, uh, Pedersen a little slow to get back to his feet after getting knocked down on the cross-check. Like, we, we said that before, and that's what it is. That that play starts, and again, I, 
I, I told you, Jeff, we could put some truth serum in him in yep. Rick Tockett. I bet we hear about staying out too long. So I, I would hedge a bet that that's one of the things that he didn't like. But the more we see stuff like that, the more you just think that top six help that's coming ahead of the trade deadline <laughs> can't get here soon enough. Because in you know, not only does it give Elias Patterson a new line mate and give you more flexibility in the lineup, that bumps down Pia Suter. Like that that bumps down your, you know, like Teddy Bluger doesn't have to center the third line if that third line starts to lose its magic. You know, you've got an option in Pia Suter going to center the line, and all of a sudden. Teddy Bluger's replacing Nils Oman in your center depth chart, and your fourth line has a has a much better center than Nils Oman and Teddy Bluger on it. So we talk about Nils Huglander, we talk about Andre Kuzmenko figuring it out, and Ilya Mikheyev skating harder. It just it it's be, it's becoming increasingly more clear to me that the only substantial change that's going to happen this season with that top six and and with you know Pedersen getting some line mates that aren't the lotto line is going to come when they eventually go out and make that trade. Yeah, I mean, look, after this one, Pia Suter's not going anywhere out of the top six. So if they do bring in some help, I, I wonder if a guy like Ilya Mikheyev is the one that ends up dropping down. Now, I guess it depends who they acquire and is he a center, is he a winger? But uh, Ilya Mikheyev, again, if you're going to be in the top six and you're going to play primarily with Elias Pettersson, you cannot go six weeks between goals. You just can't do it. And he had that opportunity that we talked about. He draw the penalty, he drew the penalty as well. So I'm not here to say that he was completely invisible, but where he is situated in this lineup, 16 games without a goal is uh, about 15 too many uh, for Ilya Mikheyev, at least for my liking. He got off to a nice start. He's part of that double-digit group, but uh, uh, he's been stuck uh, on 10 for a long, long time since the game in Chicago uh, well before Christmas. All right, uh, we'll leave the final word here from the post-game uh, locker room to Pia Suter. Three-goal effort. He's up to a dozen on the season now. Uh, has been a nice story and a nice spend for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Suter was asked after the game about uh, his role in spearheading the comeback against the Blues. Yeah, you know, obviously happy with that. You know, I rallied back from being down two goals twice. So it's, uh, yeah, I know, uh, obviously couldn't finish. Uh, kind of disappointing, but uh, yeah. Enjoy playing on that line and having an offensive role. Yeah, we see a lot. You know, uh, we get a lot of offensive shifts, uh, create a lot of chances. Could have a few more, and uh, so it makes a lot of fun. And uh, just kind of try and keep going like that. Yeah, he's not wrong. Lots of chances, a lot of fun. I imagine it would be playing with JT Miller and Brock Besser, two of the best players uh, in this Vancouver lineup. And uh, I, mean, I can't imagine that you're going to change that for Saturday against the Blue Jackets. I don't know if it's the long-term thing. We have seen Pia Suter play up in the lineup. We've seen him play with. Patterson at times. We've seen him play lower in the lineup. Uh, people, I think, forget that uh, he was the original Teddy Bluger between Dakota Joshua and Connor Garland until he got hurt in that game in Montreal. So he has, uh, I mean, he's Swiss, so it's easy to call him a Swiss Army knife, but he really has plugged some holes for the Vancouver Hockey Club, and he's done a nice job and certainly found his offensive flair in this one with all three of the Vancouver goals. And that leads us into our rink-wide Vancouver three-star selection. Uh, the three stars in the building is selected by the Sportsnet uh, broadcast. Bia Suter is number one, Jake Neighbors number two, and Robert Thomas, who just kind of quietly goes along and is the leading scorer for the St. Louis team and picked up two more points. He was uh, in on both of the first period goals. Robert Thomas is the third star. I've got Suter as number one. I'm going Braden Shan. He scores the overtime winner. He's the hero ultimately. And uh, if you just looked at the box score, you'd think, hey, 
uh, coming through in OT the way that he did. So I've got Braden Shan. He's up 12 as well. And I'm going Quinn Hughes because he had three assists. I know the Canucks lose this hockey game, but we just sit here and we marvel after almost every Canuck broadcast and, and every podcast that we do about the captain, um, you know, the way that he leads by example and played through the pain there in the third period when he took that hit. I thought it was another big night for him and to get to 300 career points and 60 points on this season still you know, well on pace to hit triple digits, which is remarkable, and that's going to be fun to watch over the the balance of this season. So I'm going Quinn Hughes. I don't know if you have any issues with that, but, hey, it's our podcast. We can do whatever we want when it comes to the three stars, and you could pick Quinn Hughes as one of the stars just about every night out. Yeah, no issue with that. No issue with that. <laughs> oh, How could I have an issue with that? <laughs> All right. Do, do you have an issue with the, the metallic helmets? We didn't. We touched on it briefly, but uh, I need the Dave Quadrelli sort of fashion review here. I'm so glad you asked, Jeff. I actually, I was actually getting a little concerned that you weren't going to ask. But I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad you did because I loved them in practice. Loved them. They looked awesome. I saw them tonight. They don't match. It's not, yeah. it's not even the same blue. It, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't look good. I, I said it earlier in the show, Jeff. It's going to go down as one of one of those things that we talk about in, in 10, 15 years and say, hey, remember when that happened? Yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. No, well, I'm, they, I'm not. They'll a fan. wear them one more time. They've committed to wearing them one more time. They haven't set the date. So we'll see about that. They're wearing black on uh, Saturday against Columbus. But. We'll see the chrome one more time. And I am so with you. And I was at practice yesterday. I documented it. And I thought with the practice jerseys they wear, and they have blue and they've got white and the defensemen wear black. And so there was a bit of a different look. And I even think their blue practice jerseys are a different blue than the uniforms that they were wearing. When they came out in warm-up, that was absolutely the first thing. Like I liked the look of them yesterday. I liked the look of them with the white practice jerseys. And then they came out for warm-up, and I was like, wait a second. This doesn't <laughs> quite work as as well as it did uh, when I was just sitting there in an empty Rogers Arena on uh, Tuesday afternoon. So only one more time. We'll see if they can get a win in them. Uh, again, we don't know which day or which game that's going to be, but uh, we will see the metallic blue one more time. Uh, just want to throw some underlying numbers out here. Uh, Canucks and score effects obviously played uh, a big part of the third period. Uh, on the night, the Canucks control 63% of the shot attempts at even strength, so uh, they win the shot share quite handily. Scoring chances were 35-21 for the Vancouver Canucks, including 17-4 at even strength in the third period alone. The high dangers were 9-2 in the third period. Uh, on the night, the high dangers certainly favored the Vancouver Canucks, 17-11, uh, but maybe not as wide an edge as uh, you thought that uh, maybe they would have uh, the way that they pushed when trailing in the third period. And individually, uh, when you look at some of the efforts, uh, you know, Pia Suter comes through, obviously, with the goals. That line, Besser, Miller, and Suter, um, I mean, just absolutely crushed it when it came to individual Corsi up in the 75% range. Big night for Quinn Hughes and Philip Heronik as well. But uh, when you hear the coach and he's talking about uh, needing a little bit more from Elias Pettersson, Pettersson on the ice for just one goal in this hockey game, and it was uh, that 3-1 goal uh, from Torpachenko of the St. Louis Blues. So uh, you're looking for a little bit more, obviously, from Elias Pettersson. We'll see how he responds on Saturday against the Blue Jackets. Uh, still ahead here, we've got a stat that stands out. Uh, got a couple, actually, that uh, want to bounce 
off you. We'll get to uh, some listener feedback as well and a thought or two on the end of the homestand. The Canucks are 3-0-1 now through four games, and they got CBJ coming to town on Saturday night. We'll carry on with more. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver, and it's brought to you by Betway. We'll dip into our feedback channels here in a sec and get some listener thoughts on this loss to the Blues, but we always have a stat that stands out, whether it's from the game itself or whether it's a cumulative stat around the season, and we threw some numbers. Uh, they're always big numbers when it comes to Quinn Hughes, but uh, with Pia Suter scoring the hat trick, his first of three on the night was his 10th of the season, and then he added 11 and 12. The 10th goal for Pia Suter gives the Canucks nine double-digit goal scorers, which is remarkable. You know, at the end of the season, if you told me they had nine, I'd say, okay, like that's good that uh, some of those depth guys got to 10. They're not even at the All-Star break. This was the 48th game of the season. Pia Suter and Teddy Bluger have missed a chunk, although Bluger's not a double-digit goal scorer, but he may get there too. But for <laughs> Pia Suter, as we said, just his 34th game of the season. But you look at the numbers. Brock Besser with 27. Elias Pettersson has 25. JT Miller with 21. Hoaglander at 14. And then you got Dakota Joshua and Quinn Hughes with a dozen apiece. Uh, Ilya Mikheyev at 10. Sam Lafferty is at 10 as well. And uh, Andre Kuzmenko is at 8. I mean, that, maybe that's the one that stands out is that they've got nine double-digit goal scorers, Dave, and Kuzmenko isn't one of them. <laughs> no kidding, right? Like, who we... The guy, yeah, I mean, we're not, I, I don't want to dissect Kuzmenko's goal-scoring woes of all season, but even tonight, like, pitchforking it wide when he's going for the dip-in on the Hughes one, and obviously he had that minute where he stayed at the bench and uh, didn't yeah. go in. I wanted to get this in, Jeff, because as, as you were talking, I, I, I saw this from Joey Kenward, uh, who tweeted out that tonight was the second career NHL hat-trick for Pia Suter, and both came on January 24th. The first one was January 24th, <laughs> 2021. Three goals for the Blackhawks and a 6-2 victory over the Detroit Red Wings. And of course, tonight as well. And also, I just noticed this. He wears number 24. So you got to put him out on the 24th of January, no matter what, in the schedule maker. The Canucks are going to be making sure that they're playing on January 24th because uh, Pia Suter must love that date. I'm making a note of that for next season already. Uh, Pia Suter's night, by the way, the three goals, he plays 18 minutes and 29 seconds, four shots on goal, nine attempts. So we talked about uh, the fact that guys were shooting the puck a bunch. The Canucks had 32 shots on goal. They had 25 blocks and they had 22 that missed the net. So a ton of attempts for the Vancouver Canucks, but just the three goals and Pia Suter was the only guy to beat Joel Hofer on the night. All right, let's get to a little bit of listener feedback now at Rinkwide Van. We'll start with David, who says, A mix of good and bad. The good, regardless of the score, overall compete was good. Suter steps up on the Miller-Besser line. Bottom six does their part. The bad, their top forwards have gone quiet. Kuzmenko good offensively, but also had the turnovers and a bad game for Zadorov. So, uh, yeah, I mean, kind of covers a lot of the things that we have touched on to this point. Somebody named Beautiful Idiot uh, on Twitter. It would be easy to point at the refs, but there were 61 minutes of action where the Canucks could have played better. The only reason this falls on the refs is because the Canucks let it get to this point. Again, you're not going to win wire to wire every night. It just kind of feels that way because they've done it so often. But there are two teams out there trying. 
the Blues have won three in a row now. Like they are battling to stay relevant in the Western Conference playoff hunt. So it's go time for them. They can't afford any nights off. Like let's give some credit. St. Louis Blues played the night before in Calgary and won. They won that one late. Here they win it even later. It's easy to look at the referees, but you know this high-scoring Vancouver team uh, had trouble for whatever reason mustering offense in St. Louis against the Blues when they lost two to one. And here, you know, it took them far too long to get going. And when you're down two nothing in the third period, it's an uphill climb. And credit to the Canucks for getting the single point. But yeah, start to finish. I mean, this is another night, kind of like the Toronto game the other night, uh, Columbus. You know, I, they're not full 60-minute efforts, that there are some lapses in their play, and that's something that, uh, again, they're going to have to continue to chip away at and uh, and address because there are better opponents out there. And when you get to the playoffs, and maybe the Blues are there, maybe they're not, but you get to the playoffs, you're playing good teams. That's what the playoffs are made of is, you know, teams that qualify. You can't have these long stretches and lapses the way that the Canucks have had a little too often here. Maybe you chalk it up to the dog days and starting to look ahead to that all-star break, whatever. Um, they've kind of got away from where they were out on that road trip, particularly the the meat of the road trip when they looked as good as they have all season in New Jersey in the two New York wins. Yeah. And, and again, something talk is focused on is you've, you've got to do the 60 minutes. And this is, this is a fascinating concept Jeff because we've talked about this before and some of the feedback I get when I talk about a 60 minute effort is it's the NHL you're not going to dominate for 60 minutes a 60 minute effort doesn't mean that you're dominating for 60 minutes it means that you're not conceding or getting dominated for more than five minutes like it's what you're doing when you're not dominating that make a complete 60 minute effort there's going to be flashes there's going to be flashes when you dominate a game you're not going to do that the entire game. It's what you're doing when you're not there. It's not turning over pucks. It's not, uh, it's being more careful with the puck. It's protecting the guts of the ice. And I don't just want to throw out a bunch of cliches <laughs> that we hear from the head coach every night, but he's got a damn point. Like he's got a point. You've got to protect the guts of the ice. And tonight the Canucks just didn't do that. And it's becoming a bit of a trend recently. And I think you want to buck that trend uh, sooner rather than later. Ian says the Blues were totally solid. Sucks to lose, but that game seemed like a good example of what to expect in the playoffs, a learning opportunity. Look, I, I do think that there is some validity to the idea that they've been front runners so often. There are going to be nights ahead where they fall behind. And honestly, I started to wonder if they had forgotten a little bit about having to play from behind and the adjustments necessary and those types of things. So... Not that I'm hoping the Vancouver Canucks dig themselves holes that uh, they have to climb out of, but I I just think nights like this are a good reminder that, you know, you're not always going to open the score. You're not always going to have the lead. And I think you turn to your best players in those situations. Uh, Some effort was there, but ultimately a little bit better execution. And, you know, we talked about that uh, final power play that I know they tied the game, but I just, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more on the execution side when it came to the power play. A couple of others that I want to get to here. Robbie says not the Canucks' best game, but found a way to get it to overtime, move on. You can't win them all. And, and I mean, yes, ultimately, you know, we've talked about the record. They've lost 16 times, and five of those, they've managed to get a single point out of them. So you're not going to beat them up and clobber them over the head uh, every time out when they lose, but I do think that we start to look at different ways you know, areas that they are going to have to brush up on and get a little bit better at. And yeah, I mean, there were some uh, points in this hockey game that I'm sure that the head coach, uh, you know, get the video sessions going again. And 
They'll get back to practice, as we said. Friday is supposed to be a day off, but uh, they are scheduled to practice on Thursday and then play on Saturday. All right, uh, one last comment here that I want to get to. Mike says, Canucks focusing on the controllables. You can't control whether the official makes the call, but they will focus on how to get back into the play quicker. Uh, and I think a little bit of that uh, goes to Elias Pettersson and the turnover. And then, as we said, uh, when he got knocked down, you would like to have seen him uh, hop back up a little bit faster than he did. Um, so, yeah. All right. Uh, appreciate uh, everybody that uh, reaches out post game. Try to work in as uh, many of those comments as we can. We'll do that uh, on our next uh, podcast as well. All right. Uh, some final thoughts here. Was, uh, again, you know, a single point to add it to the collection, move on. Still a chance and a very good chance to get to 70 points and beyond if they can beat the Blue Jackets on Saturday. Uh, the idea of 70 points at the All-Star break is mind-boggling to me, but that's where they are, and that's what all the wins uh, earlier this season will do for a hockey club. And I think a little added incentive, uh, as it should have been here against the Blues, it didn't turn out to be that way, but they remember what happened at the tail end of the road trip after the snowy trek from Buffalo to Toronto and uh, the challenges that that presented. You know, they ran out of gas against the Blue Jackets and fell 4-3 in a shootout. Uh, they're at home here. It's now Columbus that is making its way through Western Canada. Uh, this is another opportunity, and let's see how the Vancouver Canucks bounce back on Saturday night. I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah, and I mean, one thing we haven't even brought up yet, Jeff, is that with Winnipeg and Boston losing tonight, the Canucks are first. The Canucks are first in the NHL, so they've still yep. got something to play for. Like, they get the point tonight, and it propels them to first in the NHL, which is a place they've been. I know we've said it. It feels like every second game we're like, the Canucks are back in first because Winnipeg keeps catching them. But that's one angle of this game that you just kind of look at and you say, okay, yeah, you know what? You can't win them all. Like that commenter said, you can't win them all, but you're still first in the NHL after this game. So that's something to hang your hat on as the Blue Jackets visit town on Saturday. And that's when we'll have our next episode of Rink-Wide Vancouver. Irfan Gaffar will be sitting in uh, with me as our co-host, so we're looking forward to getting Earth back into the mix here, and we'll see what the Canucks and the Blue Jackets have to offer up in the way of some storylines. So whatever the case, we'll be here to break it all down and take you into the all-star break. We'll have a little rink-wide news on Saturday's podcast as well, so you can want to stick around for that. We'll call that uh, a tease in the business. So more coming up post-game on Saturday. But that's going to do it for us here on this episode, as the Canucks fall 4-3 to the St. Louis Blues, Braden Shen, the overtime winner at the 154 mark. So the Blues take two points. The Vancouver Canucks settle for a single. For David Quadrelli, this is Jeff Patterson. Uh, again, we thank you so much for your support. And we look forward to uh, producing the next episode of Rink Wide on Saturday when the Blue Jackets are in town. That's going to do it for us here on this one. You've been listening to Rink Wide Vancouver, brought to you by Betway. Betway.